Chapter Sixteen of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Sixteen. After all, I think there are only two kinds of people in the world: lovers and egotists. I fear that lovers must smile when they see me making myself comfortable, collecting refined luxuries and a pleasant society round myself, protecting myself from an uneasy conscience by measured ornamental acts of kindness and duty mounting guard over my health and my seclusion and my liberty. Yes, I have seen them smile. M. N. The violet dusk was deepening, and the dew was falling, as Annette crossed the garden under the apple-trees on her return from the choir-practice. There was a light in Aunt Maria's window, which showed that she was evidently grappling with the smoking imbroglio which was racking two young hearts. Even a footfall in the passage was apt to scare that shy bird Aunt Maria's genius. So Annette stole on tiptoe to the parlour. Aunt Harriet, extended on a sofa near a shaded lamp, looked up from her cushions with a bright smile of welcome, and held out both her hands. Aunt Harriet was the youngest of three sisters, but she had not realised that that fact may in time cease to mean much. It was obvious that she had not yet kissed the rod of middle age. She had been moderately good-looking twenty years ago, and still possessed a willowy figure and a slender hand, and a fair amount of ash-coloured hair, which she wore in imitation of the then Princess of Wales, tilted forward in a dome of innumerable little curls over a longish, pinkish face, leaving the thin, flat back of her head unmitigated by a coil. Aunt Harriet gave the impression of being a bas-relief, especially on the few occasions on which she stood up, when it seemed as if part of her had become momentarily unglued from the sofa, leaving her spinal column and the back of her head behind. She had had an unhappy and misunderstood, I mean too accurately understood, existence, during the early years when her elder sister Maria ruthlessly exhorted her to exert herself, and continually frustrated her mild, inveterate determination to have everything done for her. But a temporary ailment long since cured, and a sympathetic doctor, had enabled her to circumvent Maria, and to establish herself for good on her sofa, with the soft-hearted Catherine in attendance. Her unlined face showed that she had found her niche in this uneasy world, and was no longer, as in all her earlier years, a drifter through life, terrified by the possibility of fatiguing herself. Greatly to her credit, and possibly owing to Catherine's mediation, Aunt Maria accepted the situation and never sought to undermine the castle, not in Spain, but on a sofa, which her sister had erected, and in which she had found the somewhat colourless happiness of her life. "'Come in, my love, come in,' said Aunt Harriet, with playful gaiety. "'Come in and sit by me.' Her love came in and sat down obediently on the low stool by her aunt's couch, that stool to which she was so frequently beckoned, on which it was her lot to hear so much advice on the subject of the housekeeping, and the management of the servants. "'I think, Annette, you ought to speak to Hodgkins about the Albert biscuits. I know I left six in the tin yesterday, and there were only four to-day. I went directly I was down to count them. It's not good for her to take the dining-room Alberts, and then to deny it, as she did the other day. So I think it would be best if I don't move in the matter, and if you mentioned it, as if you had noticed it yourself.' Or, "'There was a cobweb on my glass yesterday. I think, dearest, you must not overlook that.' "'Servants become very slack unless they are kept up to their work.' Aunt Harriet was an enemy of all slackness, idleness, 
want of energy shirking in all its branches. She had taken to reading Emerson of late, and often quoted his words that the only way of escape in all the worlds of God was performance. Annette would never have kept a servant if she had listened to her aunt's endless promptings. But she did not listen to them. Her placid, rather happy-go-lucky temperament made her forget them at once. "'Have you had supper, dear child?' "'Not yet. I'll go now. "'And did you remember to take a lozenge as you left the church?' "'I'm afraid I forgot.' "'Ah, my dear, it's a good thing you have someone to look after you and mother you. "'It's not too late to take one now.' "'I should like to go and have supper now. I'm very hungry.' "'I rejoice to hear it. It is wonderful to me how you can do without a regular meal on quiet nights. "'If it had been me, I should have fainted. "'But sit down again for one moment. I have something to tell you. "'You will never guess whom we have had here.' "'I'm sure I never shall. "'You know how much Maria thinks of literary people.' Yes. I don't care for them quite as much as she does. I am more drawn to those who have suffered, whose lives have been shattered like glass, as, as my own life has been, and who gather up the fragments that remain and weave a beautiful embroidery out of them. Annette knew that her aunt wanted her to say, as you do yourself. She considered a moment and then said, You are thinking of Aunt Catherine. Aunt Harriet was entirely nonplussed, she felt unable to own that she had no such thought. She sighed deeply, and said, after a pause, "'I don't want to repeat it, Annette. I learned long ago that it is my first duty to keep my troubles to myself, to consume my own smoke. But my circulation has never been normal since the day Aunt Cathy died.' Then, after a moment, she added, with sudden brightness, as one who relumes the torch on which a whole household depends, "'But you have not guessed who our visitor was, "'and what a droll adventure it all turned out. "'How I did laugh when it was all over, "'and he was safely out of hearing. "'Maria said there was nothing to laugh at, "'but then she never sees the comic side of things as I do. "'I begin to think it must have been Canon Weatherby, "'the clergyman who told you that story about the parrot "'who said damn at prayers, "'and made Aunt Maria promise not to put it in one of her books. "'She will, all the same,' It's too good to be lost. No, it was not Canon Weatherby. But you will never guess. I've never known you guess anything, Annette. You are totally devoid of imagination, and ah, how much happier your life will be in consequence. I shall have to tell you. It was Mr. Reginald Sterling. The novelist? Yes, and you know Maria was beginning to feel a little hurt because he hadn't called, as they are both writers. There is a sort of Freemasonry in these things, and, of course, in a neighbourhood like this we naturally miss very much the extremely interesting literary society to which we were accustomed in London, and which Maria especially shone. But anyhow, he came at last, and he was quite delightful. Not much to look at, not Mr. Harvey's presence, but most agreeable. And he seemed to know all about us. He said he went to Rift Church sometimes, and had seen our youngest sister in the choir. How I laughed after he was gone! I often wish the comic side did not appeal to me quite so forcibly. To think of poor me, who have not been to church for years, boldly holding forth in the choir, or Maria, dear Maria, who only knows God save the Queen because everyone gets up, as Canon Weatherby said in his funny way, does not know Pop goes the weasel from God save the weasel. <laughs> Maria said afterwards that probably he thought you were our younger sister, and that sent me off into fits again. I certainly sit in the choir. 
He was much interested in the house, too, and said it was full of old-world memories. Did he really say that? Annette's face fell. No, now I come to think of it, I said that, and he agreed. And his visit and his conversation about Mrs. Humphrey Ward, comparing David Grieve and Robert Ellesmere, quite cured dear Maria's headache, and we agreed that neither of us would tell you all about it in the absence of the other, so that we might make you guess. So remember, Annette, when a Maria comes in, you don't know a word, a single word, of what I've told you. Aunt Maria came in at that moment, and sat down on the other side of the fire. Aunt Maria was a short, sack-like woman between fifty and sixty, who had long since given up any pretensions to middle age, and who wore her grey hair parted under a little cap. Many antagonistic qualities struggled for precedence in Aunt Maria's stout, uneasy face. Benevolence and irritability, self-consciousness and absent-mindedness, a suspicious pride, and the self-deprecation which so often dogs it and the fatigue of one who daily and hourly is trying to be an influence for good, with little or no help from temperament. Annette had developed a compassionate affection for both her aunts, now that they were under her protection, but the greater degree of compassion was for Aunt Maria. "'Aunt Harriet would have told you who has been to see us,' she said as a matter of course. Aunt Harriet fixed an imploring glance on Annette, who explained that she had seen a dog-cart in the courtyard, and how later she had seen Mr. Sterling driving in it. "'I wished, Harriet,' said Aunt Maria, without looking at her sister, "'that you had not asked him if he had read my books.' "'But he had, Maria. He was only doubtful the first minute, till I told him some of the names, and then—then the poor man perjured himself. And I thought that was so true, how he said to you, "'You and I, Miss Neville, have no time in our hard-worked lives to read even the best modern fiction.' "'I found time to read the magnet,' said Aunt Maria, in a hollow voice. At this moment the door opened, and Hodgkins, the parlour-maid, advanced into the room, bearing a tray, which she put down in an aggressive manner, on a small table beside Annette. "'I'm certain Hodgkins is vexed about something,' said Aunt Harriet solemnly, when the functionary had withdrawn. "'I'm as sensitive as a mental thermometer to what others are feeling, and I saw by the way she set the tray down that she was angry.' She must have guessed that I found out about the Alberts. Perhaps she guessed that Annette was starving, said Aunt Maria. End of chapter 16